This week, Robin interviews the bliss mistress, Edie Weinstein. We discuss SCOTUS, Bezos, Chuck Tingle, dinosaur porn, and Tinder for socks. All this and more on The Leftscape! I'm Mary McGinley. Welcome to the Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. And hi, I'm Robin Renee. And I'm Wendy Sheridan. And it is the week of February 20th from Wednesday to Wednesday. Yes, our weeks start on Wednesday. Um, and today is the World Day of Social Justice. And that uh, is interesting to me as a what is as a social justice warrior <laughs> you, you claim the you reclaim, I claim the title. <laughs> it i claim it i oh i have i have a, a lovely sticker um that was made in reaction to some brouhaha on the science fiction community where they were um, disparaging social justice warriors so they added like uh, glitter rainbow unicorn they added pre <laughs> prepended a whole bunch of other things and then made this sticker and somebody gave it to me and I I have it on one of my sketchbooks with pride nice. um, and then on the 22nd is a day without news uh -oh. um, I might want to take that challenge does that I mean do that to not listen to news or that no news will happen I'm assuming it's turn the frickin' news off <laughs> for the day. Uh, I do that, um, I don't, like, usually on Sundays uh, at this point because I need I need to just uh, not have it on or no. That's, I'm going to call Day Without News Blanket Fort Day. So, mm. <laughs> so, we, can, so we can pretend things are, are uh, just, you know, one day you can just kind of not just unplug from the news and kind of let your your blood pressure kind of go back down to normal and so i'm going to mark that on my calendar for the 22nd yeah yeah and uh on the 26th is national tell fairy tale day hmm. maybe i'll want fractured fairy tales on that day yeah I like <laughs> like, <those>. I'm, <laughs> I'm just wondering if our if our president is going to give a speech that day <laughs> those are those are those are based in uh in non-reality so <laughs> today is the birthday of walter becker who was really one half of steely dan along with donald fagan um walter becker well i i love that i love steely dan very much and becker uh, was an amazing guitarist and writer and incredibly witty person so we really miss him so um happy birthday walter becker uh, nina simone's birthday is Tomorrow, the 21st, um, another amazing performer. On the 22nd is the birthday of Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter, and uh, Crikey. Crikey. <laughs> <laughs> and Dr. J, Julius Irving. Um, 24th, Steve Jobs. 25th, George Harrison, um, another person I really have been influenced by. 
And on the 26th, it is the birthdays of Erica Badu, Johnny Cash, and Tony Randall. Wow. So, happy I like birthday to all those folks. Me too. Is he still I, alive? No, no. He passed oh. in the early 2000s, I think. And my old housemate and I used to have a Tony Randall Appreciation Society. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we had some very funny theme parties and uh, times hanging out watching The Odd Couple. It was kind of funny. Mm. <laughs> I think Julius Irving is the only person on our list this week who is still alive oh. at this point. I think out of everybody, maybe yeah. Erica Badu. Erica Badu is alive. Yes, she's okay, very yeah. much alive. <laughs> okay. Well, happy birthday, everybody. So uh, in keeping tabs on the uh, Louisiana abortion thing that that I talked about, I guess, was it two weeks ago? I think. I believe so. Yep. <laughs> Something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. In a, a five to four Supreme Court decision, the abortion law has been blocked from going into effect right now while uh, while the petitioners are gathering their case together, I guess. Um, so so that was a good thing, I believe. And I believe the was, law, the law, the law that if it had gone through would keep it was only one doctor in the entire state that would have. Yeah, been it would. Yeah, it had to do. Yeah, they they it's the it's the uh, the law is going to require doctors who perform abortions to also have admitting privileges in hospitals. And there's only one doctor who's doing this in the state of Louisiana right now that would be eligible to still do this if that law goes into effect. And I think it was was it Roberts who? Yes, Roberts joined the court's for liberal justices, in other words, the women, in writing the grant to the stay. And uh, Kavanaugh wrote a separate dissent. Mm, well, that's mm. that's to be expected. But yeah. I'm, I'm really surprised and uh, happy about that. Yeah, I, you know, he's, I'm glad he's, he's doing that. I mean, he's kind of, this is kind of just kicking the can down the road, but that's good. <laughs> but it's still kicking the can down the road because the case isn't, over yet. I'm finding the story with uh, Jeff Bezos and the National Enquirer pretty fascinating in terms of what's going to happen with that. Um, so basically, Jeff Bezos is the owner, the founder of Amazon, and he owns the Washington Post. He is uh, and a significant portion of the universe at this point. Exactly. He's <laughs> like the richest person ever one of, one of our one of our overlords yes yeah right <laughs> uh and also like he and and donald trump are not uh friends at all <laughs> so uh, to put it mildly so um trump has been you know trying to get amazon to pay extra t- i mean all kinds of weird things and he tweets about it <laughs> and, and disparagingly but anyway what ha- what's happening recently is that the national Enquirer outed Jeff Bezos's affair with a woman who, which wound up ending, ending his marriage and um, all that kind of stuff. So that's the soap opera part of it, but, <laughs> and it still is really pretty soap opera. Uh, you know, so they were saying we have disparaging pictures of you and we can reveal all this other nefarious activity. Um, but we could not do that if you um, make a public announcement that, our motivations have not been political. Uh, 
you know, um, and because they are also um, David Pecker, who owns the National Enquirer, has been cooperating with investigations regarding the catch and kill stories um, that preceded Trump's running for office. And um, so that's what? all mixed in with that. Wasn't wasn't there also part of it was that um, uh, Bezos was investigating how they got this stuff and they wanted him to stop investigating them? Yes, exactly. So specifically, Mm -hmm. they want him to claim publicly that none of their none of their activities were politically motivated. So rather than just, you know, do what they were asking, he decided to publish a very public letter, including all of the information that they were going to reveal. So all their uh, texts or emails or whatever. Right. And every, every, yeah, exactly. And everything that they were going to say about him. So it really cut off their, their ability to blackmail him. Um, And one of the interesting things is now um, David Pecker has, and I guess the company, which is a, what do they call it? AMI, I believe. AMI, yeah. Right. Um, okay. Have an agreement that they will not be prosecuted for any of the investigations regarding um, the uh, the catch and kill stories and all the other sort of ongoing. What are the catch and kill oh, okay. stories? What are what so are um, <laughs> Stormy Daniels and the other oh. person? They were basically um, they. Oh, they're paid and then they exactly. sit on they the story. They pay them which they would never publish. And it was just put in a vault, like a literal vault, I believe, of Trump stories that were not to be told. <laughs> um, wow. So one of the stipulations was that they were they would be immune to prosecution if they commit no more crimes in you know in a, in, a, in this time <laughs> period, in like a three year time period or something like that. So this looks awful lot a lot like a crime. It really looks like, yeah. Uh, you know, um, I was listening to one lawyer talk about it, and they said, you know, it's tricky. It could walk right up to the line of being criminal and not quite be, or it could be determined to be criminal. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in terms of um, what's what's legal. What's I mean, it's obviously awful. <laughs> the whole thing is awful, you know. <laughs> But um, in terms of the legality, it's going to be interesting to see what what the fallout is of this. It's one of those other lines that people may or may not have exactly. crossed. <laughs> so <laughs> it sounds I, I mean, the whole point of like, well, all right, we won't prosecute you if you promise to not do anything else. <laughs> It's like, what kind of bullshit is that? Well, I think that that was the thing that was scaring Michael Cohen, too. Because people have been talking about why didn't Michael Cohen do a full thing where he would he would tell them whatever they wanted to know there. There was and and people posited, well, there's other things that Michael Cohen might have done in his life. And he doesn't want to talk about that. So he wasn't being a um, full uh informer yeah hmm. I, I don't know i mean i see the value in the having leverage and being able to get some sort of plea deal so that you're able to get information more information out of certain people than others it's it's yeah it's it's 
weird that not everyone needs to be accountable for everything they do, but I think it's a way that well, it's, it's worked. It's only the company accountable, right? Yeah, AMI? Not just people. Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. 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 I, you know, it's corporate, corporate uh, responsibility for stuff, I think, is, I, I think, it's, I find, I find this whole thing very frustrating because if it was like just a person, they would, they would be in trouble. And it's like, oh no, we're just a big company and we employ people and we have friends in high places. So we're going to get a pass and then we're going to pretend that, uh, that we're not doing anything wrong, even though we are. And then, you know, when that all blows up in our face, I, I would, I would tend to think if they were comfortable blackmailing Bezos over this, that, that they've blackmailed like everybody over other yeah. things. This, this is not the first time you know, they've tried this. This is not their first rodeo. And this is, there's a, there's a big iceberg under there with a whole lot of crap in it. I am absolutely sure. So um, <laughs> yes, it will be interesting to see how this plays out. You know, what makes me laugh, though, is seeing the tweets by Trump where he says that uh, National Enquirer is a better newspaper than the Washington Post. Uh, well, <laughs> no comment. Yes, Bigfoot, had, Bigfoot fathered my baby, yes. <laughs> that's, that's what I remember from the Enquirer. Mm -hmm. Probably from the seventies in the checkout counter. <laughs> oh, they're or, still talking about or, Bigfoot, I'm sure. Well, I think there was a recent sighting. <laughs> so I'm not I'm I'm who knows? There could be there could be things. Especially in the with the Bigfoot porn about. getting popular. Oh, I didn't even know about that. Oh yeah. That's that's, uh, that's it's crypt. I think there's a whole genre of cryptid porn and dinosaur porn and bear porn and not like bears as in large burly gay men. <laughs> I'm talking about in polar and brown. sitting in the woods okay. bears. <laughs> no, it's just like there's, there's writers that are making their living writing these things. And, and I know uh, it's kind of like uh, similar to, to Chuck, Tingle, <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know if you've heard of the the writer who's writing under a pseudonym Chuck no, Tingle. No, this is see, this um, is news. This is, a, this is a whole different type of news. <laughs> um, yeah, and and I and I think he ended up getting on the Hugo Award nominee list two times because I don't even know. I, I don't know if these were protest things or just people thought his books are just really funny or weird or I haven't read so them. Does he write but polar they're... bear porn? No, I think he writes dinosaur, dinosaur. porn, I think. Okay. <laughs> I know there's a few people that write dinosaur porn and, and apparently it's it's like an actual genre that's pretty popular uh, among the uh, the Amazon create space self-published kinds mm -hmm. of books. Uh, um I don't know if I'm going to encourage people to Google this stuff. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but, I am uh, ever curious. You know, so maybe, <laughs> maybe I will. 
I know there's a bunch of stuff on Amazon. <laughs> so, um, and my friends who read read and write this stuff say it's very popular. So I don't know. So that was full circle. Uh, full circle. Amazon. We were sort of back to the Jeff Bezos. <laughs> so, okay, that all somehow that all made sense. <laughs> So listen, we really love our listeners and we hope that you love us too. Even if you don't, I hope that you can go to where you get your podcast from, like iTunes or whatever, and give us a review. Give us a great review if you can, because we really need it. Next week, we will have a conversation with Ray Cornwall. He is a former co-host of the GAR podcast, and he is going to talk to us and tell us all about hashtag Comicsgate. It is an interesting uh, phenomenon and conversation, and he's got lots to say, so tune in. Yeah, I want to hear that. Hi, I am here on the Leftscape with Edie Weinstein. She is the columnist who writes for or has written for the Huffington Post, Elephant Journal, Wisdom Magazine, The Good Men Project, BeliefNet, and many, many more. She offers workshops that are all geared toward healing and positivity. She's a certified uh, laughter yoga coach, and she does official cuddle parties, and she is the author of The Bliss Mistress, Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary. So welcome. Hi, it's good to be, good to be welcome. And uh, as we were talking about, your recording studio is rather unique, but it's not... That doesn't surprise me since what I know about you, that you're, you're a unique being yourself. So. <laughs> Thank you. So I, I'm recording for people who don't have the visual. I, I record right now. I'm recording in my bathroom. It's the quietest room in the house. Good acoustics so. too, I bet. Yeah, It works. You're, you're a musician, you know, right? That's right. That's right. So I think you're here today to share with us some uh, things about the importance of touch. Um, but first, I just want to learn a little bit about you and how did you find yourself on this path of showing people toward basically toward more joy well i I grew up in a home where there was a lot of love a lot of laughter a lot of affection and i had friends that were um creative souls and even more so now i mean you and i have known each other 20 25 years and you're one of my my creative creativas creative inspirations so i realized that uh, life is a, is a roller coaster ride, um, a mix of joys and sorrows, and I would choose joy. Um, I remember years ago, I was on South Street, and there was a store that had bumper stickers that said something about choose joy. And I liked that idea that it's a choice. We're taught that we are happy when something happens, or happy if something happens. Joy is uncaused. Joy is just something that bubbles up from the inside. And I took it a step further in my, I guess my 30s, I started reading the work of Joseph Campbell, who talked about the idea of following our bliss. And in my 40s, um, after having experienced some major losses, including the death of my husband um, in 1998, and then we lost our home to Hurricane Andrew in 92, so a lot of losses, I realized that um, bliss is not necessarily something we follow outside of us, it's something we contain. And the name Bliss Mistress was given to me by a friend, former lover, um, who when, when somebody called me a Bliss Master, he says, oh, no, Bliss Mistress. So I took that on as my persona. And that's what I do now is I teach people how to live their bliss. Beautiful. Thank you. 
So one of the one of the ways you do this is through Cuddle Party. Yep. And I'm curious to hear about I, I know the people who originated Cuddle Party Party, but I haven't heard too much about some of the people who have taken that course and really mm -hmm. run oh, with yeah. it after. Well, in two thousand and four, for those that don't know, Reed Mahalko and Marsha Baczynski created this amazing workshop that has to do with communication, boundary setting, safe nurturing, non sexual touch by consent. And I went to one in 2005 when they were still in New York. And I just fell in love with the experience because having grown up in a touchy-feely family, it felt perfectly natural for me to cuddle with, in quotes, strangers. And I knew two things while I was there. I knew I wanted to bring it to the Philadelphia area, which is where I'm from. And we had never had cuddle parties here. So that summer, I invited Reed to come in and, and taught two, he taught two of them. And I also knew that I wanted to become a facilitator myself. And they were offering what they called foundations of facilitation. They still do. So if anybody is juiced up by hearing about this and they want to become a facilitator, that's the place to start is the foundations of facilitation. And what it is, it's a workshop for adults. You come to it dressed in your PJ, sweats, yoga clothes, comfy clothes. And um, after the first like half an hour, 40 minutes, which is called the welcome circle, which talks about the rules of cuddling, which talks about how we connect with each other, not just physically, but heart to heart, boundary setting, negotiating for what you want, saying yes to what you want, no to what you don't want in life. Then there's freestyle cuddling, which is spooning, snuggling, massaging, nuzzling, all with verbal consent. And today in particular, not physically this day, but this time period where the hashtag MeToo movement is in full blaze, it's really important to get verbal consent before you touch anybody, even if you have a history with them. Um, it's important to, to have them say yes to touch. So that's what the workshop does. It also brings together people that may seem like strangers in the beginning, but become what I call family of choice. Because when you get all cuddly and snuggly with people, um, our bodies release the, the hormone oxytocin, which is the, the cuddle hormone. It's the hormone that we exude um, when we have an orgasm. It's the hormone that nursing mothers exude. So imagine walking out of a workshop on an oxytocin high. And what I like to say is more oxytocin means less oxycontin because it is definitely a painkiller. So it's one of my greatest joys to teach this workshop. And what I say is how cool is it to go to work dressed in PJs and get paid to touch and be touched and it's legal. <laughs> so that's my experience. Of it. I've done, I lost track after 300 of them. Um, two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, I was in the DC area and co-facilitating with another um, prolific facilitator that you know, Monique Darling. And along with her partner, Peter, she and I facilitated a 400 plus person cuddle party. And hard to imagine. I mean, usually they're like 20, 30 people, four, more than 400 people in this huge ballroom doing this workshop. Absolute heaven. <laughs> That's wonderful. Where was that located? It was in Alexandria um, in the Westin Hotel. It was part of a conference called Interfusion, uh, which is a, a dance movement. Um, how would I describe it? Relationship positive, touch positive, sex positive. Although there was no, it wasn't a sexual conference. Um, but it's about honoring all of who we are. And that's what we did. This is the second time we did it. So it's, it's remarkable. Mm -hmm. So do you see a pathway to giving this kind of an understanding of touch to people in the general population in the U.S.? Because I think yeah. people who come to cuddle parties are sort of already predisposed to mm -hmm. knowing something or being open. Right. Because I, I feel like 
we uh, many of us or most of us associate touch with sex and mm -hmm. we are living in this fear of harassment and being harassed or being accused of harassment and right. a lot of us are just afraid of that yeah right well, well the truth is that the people do kind of skew left of center that come to cuddle party although there have been some mainstream folks that have, that have attended um out in the general public i see myself as a, as a touch educator and again a lot of it has to do with consent how many people either grew up grew up either in families where touch was non-existent, limited, sexual, coercive, or abusive? I, I hate to say a lot of people, very few people had my experience where touch was by consent and it was and it was nurturing and, and plentiful. So part of my my role as an educator is to let people know that we have skin hunger that's just as important to meet as food hunger. You, think, you know, you think about the studies of all the babies who fail to thrive or who die from lack of touch. Um, and, and I just, you know, a couple of years ago, it occurred to me that I was already training myself to do this when I was in graduate school, where I did a paper. I'm, I'm, a, licensed, I'm a licensed social worker, so my degree is, is a social work degree. And I did a paper on the thera therapeutic practitioner's use of touch, you know, the use of touch as a therapeutic modality. Now, as a counselor, I'm really not supposed to get touchy-feely with my clients. I can't do massage with them, can't do Reiki with them, and I'm trained in both. But I find that sometimes if my clients need hand-holding, I'll ask them, can I, if they're crying, can I hold your hand? Can I sit next to you instead of opposite you? Um, some of my clients ask for a hug on the way out the door, and I'm very careful about it. You know, I, I have really good boundaries, and I make sure that my clients do, but I don't adhere to the hard and fast rule that it's not okay to touch your therapy clients. People need comfort. And if safe, nurturing, consensual touch is part of that, I'm okay with that. And I, you know, I, like I said, I'm very, very conscious of boundaries. So that's one way that I educate. But anyway, when I was doing this study, um, I did some research and um, have, I can't even remember the, the gentleman's name, but he did a study with um, rhesus monkeys where um, he had the babies, um, had them, um, with either a wire monkey mother that fed them, that had a bottle in them, or um, a cloth-covered monkey that didn't feed them. And every time they chose the cloth-covered comforting monkey over the monkey that nourished them physically. Uh, there was uh, a gentleman named Sidney Gerard who did a study where he observed people in cafes all over the world to see how many times they touched each other across the table. Um, I forget which countries, I think France was, was one of the big ones, maybe Italy. And in the United States, I think people touched each other maybe twice in an hour across the table. Not anybody I know, <laughs> obviously, because I, you know, I touch my friends, I touch people a lot, and they, and they touch me. Uh, but I remember even back then being so blown out of the water by how scary touch was for people. And even now, when I talk about cuddle party, there are people that say, ooh, icky strangers, who wants to cuddle with strangers? And I tell them, if you go to a cuddle party, you're going to see people that you would run into in a supermarket checkout line. I have very nurturing friends that will hug me but will not set foot in a cuddle party, no matter what, because it's too um, out of their comfort zone. So I try to make it as, as easy and comfortable for people as possible. Uh, right. So that's that's how I, how I do that, educating. Nice. And one of the rules of cuddle party that I happen to know is that you don't have to cuddle anyone ever. Nope. So nope. it doesn't matter if you tell if I, some people, I imagine it's just the whole thing just sounds so weird that they right. even knowing that they don't. 
No, they, they won't even set foot there. And um, I tell people, especially if they're walking in with social anxiety, with discomfort over touch, with trauma history, there are a lot of walking wounded people in the world. So I start out by saying, if you've had this kind of history, this is a good lab setting where you don't have to do anything, where you can say no to everything. And I actually have had people that have said that they just want to sit it out and watch, which is perfectly appropriate too. And then I add that I don't know what anybody's going to walk in with. So please treat each other the way you would want to be treated if you had a trauma history or if you had social anxiety. And I've never had anybody leave there feeling um, put upon or feeling um, like they, they, we create a sense of safety. That's the, the job of the facilitator. What I say is that I create the container, they create their own experience. Now, people have come back to me afterwards and said, even though you said it was okay to say no to, to touch, and again, non-sexual touch, um, I still couldn't. Help me, help me learn to do that. Because cuddle party is more than just touch. It's about teaching people those essential relationship skills that where you get to say body sovereignty. Nobody touches me without permission. Um, they, they get to say, here's what I need, uh, knowing they may not get it. Um, I had an experience at Interfusion that was really good for me. Even as a cuddle party facilitator, I had a bit of a twinge. I was in a workshop where the facilitator asked us to walk around and choose a partner. And we had no idea what the exercise was going to be beyond the, the first choice. And I approached the man. He shook his head and kind of waved me off and said, no, thank you. And he went his way. And I went, mm. and then I said, okay, there's a reason for it. Immediately, I found somebody else, and not only did this man say yes to working with me, he opened his arms and just kind of embraced me. And I went, oh, and it turned out to be um, a, uh, an exercise where we were dealing with the the um, paradigm, I don't know, paradigm, but yeah, the paradigm of divine masculine, divine feminine. And this was a man who I allowed to take care of me. You and I have had this conversation before about gender roles and about how we present ourselves in the world. And this was a man, probably young enough to be my son, who took very good care of me and I let him. Now, had this first man said yes, I, I might not have had that same experience. So I ran into the, the first man at, at the 400 person cuddle party and I said, I want to thank you for saying no to me because it opened, opened up the possibility for an even bigger yes. And that's what we like to say that what we consider rejection is really redirection. Um, so that's a skill that we teach at Color Party. Mm -hmm. That's an important one too. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you for that. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> now I know that one of the other things that you do is that you go to some very public places uh -huh. and like train stations and things like that yep. and you offer free hugs. Yep. <laughs> so what is that experience? Well, like? that, okay, now that you, you mentioned um, uh, being in the mainstream, that's how I, how, and, and I hate to use the word indoctrinate. <laughs> that's how I educate, how I encourage people to literally embrace that part of themselves. So Valentine's Day weekend, coming up now, five years, 2014, I took a group of friends to 30th Street Station in Philadelphia, and we did a free hugs flash mob. And uh, there were a dozen of us, and at 12 o'clock, a friend of ours started playing the song, the, um, give a little bit, you know, give a little bit, give a little bit, <laughs> and we walked yep, yep. around, and we asked people, would you like a hug? We had our free hug signs and all that, and most people said yes, and we, I estimate that within an hour, we hugged 200 people maybe. Now, this one man that we hugged was an Iraq war vet, and he was the only survivor of his platoon, and he had survivor's guilt, and he had thoughts of killing himself, and he told us that, and he said, then I met you people, can I join you? 
So we gave him a sign and he walked around with us and it was like tears, of course. And I said, oh we've, got, you know, we've got something here. So friends started calling us hug mobsters. And I said, oh, mobsters, mafia, guns, right? I don't think so. But then I added the tagline armed with love. And um, <laughs> like in June it. of that year, I had a heart attack. And as part of my cardiac rehab, I walked around Doylestown, which is my nearest town. And I said, what if I combine the walking with the hugging and calling it a free hug stroll? And I become a fixture on the streets of Doylestown. And people say, oh, you're the hug lady, or you're the hug queen. And um, a friend um, commissioned a sign, which a local artist made for me. And it's got a heart with all hands. The logo was created by another friend. And it says, Hug Mobsters Armed with Love. So since then, in the last five years, um, I've hugged people, as you said, train stations, bus, bus stations, airports. Um, I hugged my way across Ireland in May. Um, I go to rallies. And I'll tell you about the rally I went to yesterday, or the event I went to yesterday. Uh, that would appeal to your listeners. I would also go to sporting events. I go to street fairs, any and everywhere. And I've got one coming up next weekend, actually, in, in Doylestown. Um, so will probably be in the past when this yeah, but airs. Yeah, but I do them all over the, I do them all over the place. Um, sure. It'll be on um, on the, the 9th of uh, February, but I do them every few months. So yesterday, um, in Lansdale, Pennsylvania, which is a Montgomery County, Pennsylvania suburb, um, an actor... Um, whose persona is Annie Christ, A-N-N-I-E-C-H-R-I-S-T, is a drag queen. And what? And I don't know what pronoun, gender pronoun they use, but they um, cre- did um, drag queen story time fun. So they brought two books, one of them called Sparkly Boy, and the other called something about the naked mole puts on clothes, and it's about diversity, difference, celebrating you know, our uniqueness. And as you can imagine, <laughs> it stirred up a lot of stuff, uh, pro and con. Uh, there was, and I don't even know the name of the group, but there was a, um, an evangelical Christian group that planned to protest. So uh, our local progressive, left of center, political, whatever you want to call it, groups got together and said, okay, we're going to meet them with love. And it was certainly planned to be a nonviolent event. And it was, it was, there was no, no violence at all. So at 9.30 in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning yesterday, when it was in the low double digits, <laughs> we were the first. It, it, it has been cold it was, over the last couple of so days. So that for sure. speaks volumes about dedication. So um, there were probably like 20 or 30 of us there in the beginning, by the end of the three hours, uh, while the book, the readings were going on in the library, there are maybe 200 people. I don't know the exact, you know, how many how many of us were there, but we were chanting and singing, and, and um, it was it was like a festival. And there were signs, but there were no negative signs. There were no hateful signs. Unfortunately, on the other side of the street, um, you know, we were creating what was called a wall of love um, to kind of block that out. And there were, they had a bullhorn. They were yelling and screaming all kinds of hateful things. And I bet you didn't know uh, that feminists promote pedophilia. Did you know that? Oh, that's And that was held. That sign was held by. I don't even think the kid was a teenager. I, that was the only kid that I saw on that side. Thank goodness. But they weren't smiling. They were. I mean, you would think that they were. They were proclaiming their faith. People that were in in the love of God would be smiling and laughing and happy. They were so angry 
and I could feel it like radiating off. But bless the Lansdale police that, that stood in between us. Um, and there was coverage, there was a ton of media coverage. So um, I did a lot of the free hug stuff there and people were thanking me. So I was walking toward where these people were because I, I was fully prepared to go hug them. And we were advised not to engage, not to, you know, not to talk to them if, unless they approached us. So I approached these two men that I wasn't sure. They were kind of standing in the middle. And I asked one of the men, can I hug you? And he says, oh, I'm a married man. I said, I hug married people all the time. This is not about sex, dude. <laughs> it's about love. And we started talking. And it turns out that he was with that other group. And we had this conversation <clears throat> about his perception. He says, my sister is an out lesbian married to her, her partner. And we love him. But we, you know, love, what is it? Love, love the sinner, hate the sin. So we got into this conversation and I truly believe that they believed that they were showing love. And so by the end of the day, and I did get to meet Annie, which was wonderful. I get, did get to hear the storytelling. Um, they're sitting there asking the kids, you know, what do you think a drag queen does? It is. So this one little girl says, well, drag queen is a man or a woman who dresses up in fancy clothes wears big wigs and lots of makeup. <laughs> that was it. I mean, that's what, it, you know, Annie's like the six foot something dude with, um, um, uh, you know, wearing these very high platform boots and bright red and black polka dot dress with tons of makeup and a big poofy wig and tattoos, multiple tattoos. And these kids That's a really funny perfect. definition too of, of drag queen. I think that's a great definition of drag yeah, queen. I like and that. And it was perfect. It wasn't about sex. It wasn't about luring kids into a particular lifestyle. It was an entertainer. And yeah. this and the kids just looked up adoringly at this person. And I mean so I didn't get to hug them. I didn't get to hug them and I and I was like, oh you know, so, but they, they live locally, but I am going to be writing an article about it for the Good Men Project where I'm going to be interviewing them. But that, but I did, you know, hug at least a hundred people. So that's how I introduce people to the idea that touch is safe, that it's not, it's not scary and it's not ooh, icky strangers. Mm -hmm. Did you ever feel inhibition about that? Because I no. feel like I'm pretty open to lots of situations and mm -hmm. I feel like in a Going to an event, I'm very comfortable and open, but I don't know that I could walk into Penn Station with a sign that said free hugs and just be there like oh, that. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's awesome. I admire yeah, it. Thank you. But did you ever feel no. shy about it? No. I mean, in the beginning, I was concerned, oh, what if people say no? Usually they say no by saying, no, I'm good. And I'll say, I know you're good, but hug somebody. Last, not last summer, but the summer before, a friend followed me around um, South Street and um, Head House Square with my free hug signs. Now it was easier because it was being videotaped and people wanted to be on video, you know, wanted to be videoed. Um, so very few people said no. Um, I'm not shy about it at all. If people say no, they say no. And the other really amazing thing, I haven't gotten sick. You know, I hug, I hug sweaty people. I hug people that probably have colds and the flu and I hug people that are homeless. Um, you know, my only concern is if somebody's got a cigarette because I had a heart attack and I don't even like being around cigarette smoke. I'll say, "Can you hold that to the side?" and I'll be happy to hug you. I'll put it down and I'll be happy to hug you. Right. <laughs> um, but it, but no, I'm not I'm not shy about it at all. It's it's what I love to do. That's wonderful. Thank you. So, last question, our, our main question is that here at the Leftscape, we talk about a thing called the blanket fort, and it's that feeling when the world is just all too much mm -hmm. and it could be personal or it could be just the intensity of the po political landscape that's mm -hmm. happening. And you just need like a retreat from it all, you know, mm -hmm. 
So spending a day or two like in the blanket for it yeah. is like taking a time out mm-hmm. um, from everything. So do you have a metaphoric blanket for it? Anything that you yeah. turn to? Well, the hu- hugging and the cuddling is definitely a part of my, my blanket for it. Going to the gym is my comfort. Staying literally under the blankets when I don't feel like going anywhere because my, my role, I'm a therapist. So I'm with people a lot. And there are times when I do get people out. doesn't mean I don't love them. It just means I need to recharge. So that's one way that I do it. Writing is my, is my blanket for it. It's my retreat. It's, it's therapeutic for me and it's healing for people that read it. So that's, that's what helps me. And massage. I get a monthly massage and monthly pedicure. So that's my, oh, beautiful. yeah, that's my health care too. <laughs> Cool, cool. So you probably recommend those types of things to other people yeah, too. Yeah, I mean, that's what floats your boat. Everybody's different. Oh, music. Um, I listen to WXPN, the University of Pennsylvania station. Um, drumming, singing, dancing, being with kindred spirits. Those are all good things. Whatever nurtures, right? Yep, absolutely. Very, very good. So um, what? where can people find you? What What do you have going okay. on in the next you know, several months or anything okay. you want to let well, us know about? Okay, real quick. Um, I mentioned to you that I'm going to be teaching a class. I'm putting it together now called The Other End of the Stethoscope, Listening to the Heart in Our Care. And it was created um, with a friend who since died. My friend Andrea died of cancer on December 9th of 2018. She was a nurse. I'm and I'm, Thank you. Um, I don't know if you, if you ever met her, but she's, she's come to cuddle parties before. So um, while we were talking, we decided we were putting together this workshop because one day every healthcare professional will be a patient. And we think that they need to know what it's like to be on the other end of the stethoscope. Again, I'm a medical social worker and a cardiac patient, and she was an an RN and a cancer patient. So I'm going to be taking it to nursing schools and, and medical schools, hospitals, any place where medical professionals work or get trained. So I'm looking for opportunities to do that. And um, I don't have anything scheduled yet, but I just decided I'm going to be doing it in her memory and her honor. So people can reach me via my website, which is www.opti-mystical.com. Or I'm on Facebook under Edie Weinstein. That's E-D-I-E-W-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Very good. And we'll have your links on online and everything and so people can find you and your information so thank you very much my pleasure sweetie pie hello this is robin renee you can find me online at robinrenee.com and my music is on itunes cd baby pandora spotify and elsewhere around the web so check it out and you can like me at facebook.com slash Robin Renee Fan. Tweet at me at Spirit Rock Sexy and follow me on Instagram at Robin Renee Music. I would love to hear from you. The Leftscape is sponsored by Harlequin and Other Fantasies, a meditative coloring book for grown-ups. Over 30 original illustrations to color, printed on 80-pound cover stock paper to avoid bleed-through with alcohol-based markers like Sharpies. Spiral-bound to lay flat when open. Printed on one side so you can frame your masterpiece without sacrificing another drawing. Subjects include animals, people, mandalas, steampunk, Celtic knotwork, and so much more. Use Leftscape at checkout to get free shipping. See the Leftscape website for details. Purchase Harlequin and other fantasies from wendycards.com.
So I have had this problem lately because I had the broken ankle and my left foot is still like swollen. And what was going on was I could not wear a pair of socks. I had to wear two different socks on either foot that didn't match. And now all of my socks have become come unmatchable and I don't know what's going on. And I went and bought some new socks. They just came yesterday and they're very pretty socks and they, they have all kinds of designs on them. And you know what? I can't get them on my stupid foot. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sad about this because they look good, but I can't get them on. I just, I want to know how your, your socks got all separated now because you just wore one and then you had what was the the big I, I had to wear very specific sock on my swollen foot okay and so then you lost the other sock of the other pairs is well it started out that my foot was in a cast so i couldn't <laughs> wear socks uh, i mean i couldn't wear a pair i, I know that part <laughs> So somehow, I don't know, I have to dig through my piles of socks and start matching things up is oh. what I have to do. So in other yeah. words, in other words, once once you're in that cast, the, the sock trolls targeted you. Yeah. Well, That's here's the, the other thing, though. What had happened was I had thought, oh, well, I only got to wear one sock. When, you know how when you do your laundry and a sock disappears and you only yes. have one sock? Yeah, well, that's like I don't throw away that there. one sock. I keep them all. So I have this bag <laughs> full of single socks. <laughs> okay. And, and because I think someday I may find the mate to one of these socks. You know, I have this shopping bag full, full of socks. So, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I have an idea for an app now instead of Tinder. It's like Tinder for socks. Oh, yes. That's a really good idea. Tinder for socks. So that they can find your mate. through your lonely sock and see if somebody has its match somewhere. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's, that's, yeah, that's actually somewhere. so silly that it would, it could be at least a meme. <laughs> yeah. You've been listening to the Leftscape podcast. Find us online at leftscape.com, on Twitter at Leftscape, and on Facebook at Leftscape. The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. New episodes every Wednesday.